Welcome to Year Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. We're, we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me on Twitter at the Strobro. That is Craig Gridelli. Uh, you can find him at American RFC. How's it going, Craig? Uh, I mean, it's been getting interesting. Yeah, it's been a long time. Certainly a lot going on in the world. You know, everyone here at the Gridelli household is safe, thank goodness. Uh, you know, but where to live in, yeah, this is New York City. It's Certainly a hot button issue around here, so we're all trying to. So you didn't your way through to a better tomorrow. So you don't have the Rona. I don't have the Rona. I don't think. I think that's that's like last week. <laughs> yeah. oh uh, do you do you have the the guiltini? Oh God! Don't are we getting to the guillotines already? No, so no, no I think it's isn't it an illness? I don't, we'll get to that uh, much later. Uh, I would say, as far as things are going in Arizona, uh, I uh, I got to the barbershop last Friday, uh, and I, I I know people are telling me to shave this the rest of it, but I I got a I got a nice high fade. It feels nice. It's, it was it was excellent to go to a, a barber shop where, um, you know, you go in and they, they give you the whole thing and then they break out that straight razor and they uh, they lather up all your edges and, and get that hot shave going. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, this is a Gradelli barber shop work. Uh, in my in my shower, did this myself. My barber shop has remained closed throughout the outbreak. <laughs> I hear they they will come to your house for a hundred bucks, but uh, really, I'm not I'm not seeing anyone. The podcast community will accept me for who I am with this haircut. <laughs> I, I think. I I think you you did all right uh, with that. Uh, you know, it's uh, I cut my hair once during this uh, period of time, and uh, I think you all uh, in our WhatsApp group definitely told me to just bick my head. Um, so. I did that earlier. Very interesting experience. But I have actually a surprising number of birthmarks and freckles under here. So it wasn't the you know Jason Statham, Daddy Warbucks, Vin Diesel look I was hoping for. So I don't think I'm ever going to go that short again. So, so I have previously um, bicked my head, not in a long time. Uh, I, I did it for some stupid reason in – in high school, I decided to. I have to say, if you're if you're gonna do that, uh, the like the the perfect look, what like when you have hair, the perfect look is like right when the follicle is peeking out, like as far as like how you touch your head. Um, now, I would definitely prefer to like. I know guys that shave their head every day, and I don't know how they do that. Um, so. Um, I, I, at some point I'm going to be bald and probably that will be the look that I will go for. Um, but not today. Uh, but we're here for the rugby. Uh, it's been, I know I said we were going to get a lot of content out 
well, uh, you know, things happen, right? Uh, we're we're going to try. But uh, in, in a sense, as far as the regular show, um, uh, wish Liam was with us. He's got some, he's got a lot of stuff he's working on right now. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, when, when things get all better and we're all free to move about the cabin, as it were, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the whole gang back on the show, but a lot of things have happened in the, uh, wow. Has it been 11 weeks since we were on air? I, I really been, that long. It's, it's been a while. How did you guys make it without us? I, I, it's been a while. So I, I mean, you guys, uh, our fans and our listeners, thank you, uh, for beating us up, uh, cause we still posted on Twitter and, and trying to ask us questions. We did get some questions in today on both Facebook and Twitter, and we will answer those. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that happened. We coordinated that Scott. We're, oh yeah. For our, for our listeners at home where, uh, both Aaron and I have on teal ish polos. So, uh, <laughs> The Facebook Live community yeah, is uh, working on our style. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I we didn't even talk about what we were going to wear. Maybe next time we'll wear. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, maybe send me that uh, sweet, that sweet vintage NYRC kit you got the other day. And Ooh, uh, yeah, maybe we'll twin that. I should have worn that actually. <laughs> but um, so I. Where do you, where do we want to start? I mean, we we've seen uh, the last big episode we had. We focused on USA Rugby's reorganization and bankruptcy. That's going to be a big part of tonight's episode. Um, you're going to hit up the fine. Apparently, you know, the finance stuff. I guess is taken care of. I don't, I don't know. We haven't dug through um, the filings, but as far as I can tell, this is it's going forward. So we'll get into to that um the mlr draft uh if you've listened to mlr kickoff we'll, we'll work through some of the eligibility guidelines but then there's these workout windows that we'll talk about um la has launched their brand and their coaching team we'll talk about them and uh also the the biggest news i guess in the rugby world recently uh in the u.s is glendale is cutting their women's program um, so we will uh, touch on that uh, with an editorial. Uh, we had an editorial the last time when we found out that they were cutting, that they withdrew from MLR. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen uh, Wendy Young's article on your Scrum Half Connection, you can see it on our, our Twitter feed. Uh, go read that. It, uh, she did some really good work getting the news out. I think it was for, um, Thursday night. Uh, and then I... Uh, talked to a lot of uh, USA women uh, Eagles. And then we got, we spoke with a few different Glendale women players and it got confirmed and um, really good work from Wendy Young on that story and getting it out there. Uh, so go, go read it on your scrum half connection because it's, she, I would say she, she, she was able to talk to a lot of people and get a lot of things out there Um but we'll we'll sort of talk about it in a different context later on the show. Uh, so I guess the the first order of business really is um, USA Rugby bankruptcy update. Uh, the The governance plan, which essentially blew up Congress, uh, was approved by the Rugby Congress, and uh, it was also approved by the bankruptcy court. So 
what does that mean? I mean, uh, Craig, you are a member of a, G, a GU board. Uh, when you read some of this stuff and how it was spoken to you and, you know, how your congressperson brought it back, because I think Ken Pape is the president of the Empire Rugby Union. And so you are intimately uh, involved in the process as far as the senior side and, and getting the next piece update, like spun up. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's the messaging we've gotten has been consistent with, you know, the overall theme since USA Rugby, before even the Chapter 11, you know, when they announced a, a soft R restructuring earlier this year, uh, they said they were going to devolve control to the local unions, uh, be more of a decentralized format, um, you know, because there, last year there was this problem about them repurposing club dues for the national team and and what that that was kind of the first major shockwave that ultimately led to the bankruptcy but um yeah i think the new governance plan is in line with that it's just devolving more and more responsibility and authority to the local unions so you know as at the union level we were preparing for the possibility of being completely severed from usa rugby it doesn't you know i would say there was a time where we thought that was maybe the most likely outcome Right now, it seems like we're going to be able to maintain a tie with the national governing body. Um, you know exactly how it's going to look. I'm not sure yet, but it, it seems clear that it's going to be a lot more locally focused. I think um, on the senior side, it's uh, I like to say is like at the end of the day, the senior game was run by a committee which was populated not by the board or even some Congress people, but by club people. And it, you had the, the National Competitions Committee and the, you also the Club Strategic Committee. And those were the two big committees that like sort of steered the game um, through the ocean, you know. Um, and then you also had the Eligibility Committee uh, that was the, the bane of existence for a lot of people uh, is the best way I can explain it. But here at the end of the day, in the National Office – is forced to, uh, you know, enforce those policies. So now you have the national office is going to shrink um, because services are now going to be pushed down. Like, I guess not services are going to be pushed down, but fulfillment of services are going to be pushed down to organizations that either spin up or um, to support senior club rugby, collegiate rugby, and youth rugby, or they're just going to be fulfilled by like the council on a volunteer basis. I don't really know what that's going to look like. I think from what some of the minutes I've read I, from Empire in a meeting you were probably in and from, from Texas Rugby Union is that there could be a transition phase a little bit. Um, where you contract services out from the NGB for, I guess, would be for more dues. But as you, like, spin up the senior club, uh, I wouldn't say governing well, governing body, but the senior club administration organization that runs um, senior club rugby in the United States, uh, then whatever you pay to the NGB will diminish because it will just be for essential services like insurance and maybe a little bit of money, like $2 going towards operations. Um, in a sense, collegiate rugby was a bit more organized, but now I think the battle lines are being drawn because you have 
Um, the C Collegiate Rugby Association of America, which was formed out of D one A, and you have the club, the collegiate clubs that are aligning under D one A, which will, which is going to, um, an objective of theirs is to remain um, within the structure of USA Rugby. So they are going to sign. They're they are in the midst of negotiating their associative agreement uh, and populating their seats on the collegiate council. And then you have the other major organization out there that was NSCRO, um, National Small College Rugby Organization, and it is now um, NCRO, but NCR, National College Rugby for short. Um, and uh, so, hey, there, there the poach says. Um, he's currently uh, – and um, – so it's it's really intense to say that uh, what's like what's going to like going on, right? Um, and I've heard so much to say from NCR folks that they they want nothing to do with the next organization, and, and that that's just not constructive. Um, because at the end of the day, for me, and like if if you look at if you look at how this thing is, is like your job as a coach is to, um, you know, provide that leadership for your players. But for a lot of these, for a lot of these coaches, I mean, they're hired and fired by players. So what, what are like, are they actually doing the governance decisions uh, correctly for their players? I don't know. I'm not trying to editorialize that. I'm saying that, um, when it comes to how the Ted Stevens X aligns and how the USOC um, like regs work is like, you can run your own competition, but you have to like have some type of relationship with your NGB. And if it says, if all that, that relate the, the memo memorandum of agreement says is like, Hey, um, we're associated with you. Thank you for your time. Here's a dollar. Um, well, let, let me ask you, I mean, you, you probably know this, you know, as well as anybody, but so hockey is a Olympic sport. Yes. And, and hockey has an NCAA component and a professional component that are separate. I mean, how, how do those things relate to the hockey national governing body? So when it comes to NCAA sports and uh, state high school athletic association sports, like, so the, the best way I can put it is, so you have varsity, like true varsity, which is NCAA, or in the case for U.S. rugby, only one high school uh, association certifies rugby as a varsity sport, and that is Massachusetts Interscholastic Athletic Association. So the only true whole full like varsity, as far as a state is concerned, rugby is in Massachusetts, and like though those aren't clubs; those are teams within the schools. And like they aren't youth clubs and they don't, they don't become because it's the high school athletic association. They don't need to be members of USA rugby because they have all the governance components that go within that. And at the NCAA level, you have Naira national intercollegiate rugby association that I think we're now at 22 schools. They don't like those people don't have to become members of USA. Those players don't have to become the student athletes don't have to become members of USA rugby because they fall under the the governance of the NCAA. Um, I've read a lot of stuff 
um, that's being put out there. I think Alex Goff is writing some stuff. I don't necessarily agree with some of the stuff he's writing, um, but it, it, there is information that he is putting out that, you know, not all of a lot of other people are, are putting out because there is not a lot of rugby media in this country. So, um, and the, when it, like, this is to, to, for, we could go on, like I could do 90 minutes plus on, you know, the regs and why you have to be a member of the NGB. If you're not in the, like if you're not governed by your state high school athletic association and what that membership looks like is a completely different conversation because NCR has a lot of colleges and a lot of collegiate clubs as their membership. So they have a bargaining power that they can use. But from what I'm being told by in a lot of conversations I've had is that they're just not going to have, they're just not going to negotiate. They're just not even going to come to the table, which I, I think is not a, um, I don't think that's productive. Um, on the youth rugby, or well, you were going to say something, Frank. I'm just, you know, this is definitely outside of my area of expertise here, but I mean, you know, why is it unproductive if they don't come to the table? What, what do they lose by not coming to the table? Their players, their student athletes can't play for Team USA. So, I mean, that's not really, there's not many college age players doing that anyway. So, I mean, what, what's the downside for them for going their own way? I, I like the, the downside. I wouldn't say in in a sense that there's a downside, like there's some, I wouldn't call them draconian measures, but if they're not members and they can't really tour um, overseas, like, so the way this works for senior club rugby, for youth rugby, for collegiate rugby, if it's not NCAA specifically, um, because NCAA allows you to, and covers your insurance and all that stuff to allow you to tour. We see it with baseball. We see it with basketball. We see it. Heck we see it with football because Jim Harbaugh took the Michigan um, football team down to South Africa to train with the spring box um, for, for a week on their spring in like their spring educational trip that they do every year. Um, so I guess forever winning Tom Brady's fanhood of the spring box. Yeah. So um, yeah. So but to get clearance to tour, if you're a club, you have to submit a bunch of documents to you at, in theory to the NGB. And this goes for, uh, you know, team sports in general that are club based um, around the world, not just, you know, rugby. So you submit documents, get certification, get authorization from the NGB, and then they send that um, packet to the NGB uh, in the other country that you're going to play. So that says that you have all your insurance, you know, like you're good to go. You're in compliance. So if you're just not going to be a member, then they can't certify you to go overseas. Yeah. But I'm sure their argument would be, we don't require your certification. We do whatever we want. You don't control us. Yeah. I guess the the, the, the point is the point is the union overseas accept them. I no, the, the, the point is the union overseas won't accept them. That's that's the point. Is like the, the I mean that's not a lot of power. I mean if you if you don't want to tour and you don't want to go overseas and you don't care about hosting uh I would need to 
dig into this. I think it also applies to like recruiting foreign pla- foreign players. I don't. I would need to look into that. I've I've heard something about that, but I, I don't know the mechanics of that would stop you from being able to recruit players from another country. I, I think that it creates some um, some problems if you're not. Um, but like the idea is this packet gets submitted to the other union. Um, like an approved packet goes to the other union, and then that union approves that packet and allows you to play. Um, if you don't have a packet from your union that certifies you to travel, then you don't get to play. Or we we go like as we've talked about uh, before. What is it? Um, um, underground rugby. Yeah, no. Crank. I wasn't just going to say anything, but I'm sure I've been on some tours. I don't know if there was ever any paperwork filled out. Uh, so, you know, Craig, no, not sure what club that was, uh, but Craig, what's going on with your internet? Is it, is it jumping? I heard some weird noise outside. I think, I think the riot's coming. It's, it's breaking uh, up. The, the picture's breaking up for sure. Um, uh, there we go. We're getting stable. Uh, but yeah, so like that, that's kind of the biggest sort of, I guess, stick uh, the USA rugby could have um, is like stopping you from being able to recruit foreign players and stop you from touring overseas. But if you don't care about that, then you're kind of the, the biggest thing you have to work with is uh, being able to cross state lines. And that's why you have NGBs. So you have like centralized insurance so you can cross state lines. But if you don't care about crossing state lines. Yeah. Well, I know that there's, you know, you you can find ways to get your own insurance too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, that's yeah, we've gone deep enough in this question. But the point is, I don't think it's productive to just say, we're just not going to be a part of this for the sport in general. Um, Because there's been, I I would say there's a lot of selfish people in rugby and it's very annoying. Um, the, the point is we need, we're all supposed to have kumbaya and just do this together. And in a sense, I would say people have, you know, held on to their little piece of land for a long time and they don't want to, you know, be friends. I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know those, the histories with some of this stuff. And I don't really care about some of the history of some of the stuff that led to this. It's like, it's, we're a union. We're supposed to be together. Like that's, that's the end of it. You know, that's my opinion. Um, the reorganization on the U side is kind of murky, kind of not, but I, I would say just because the way the U side stuff has worked, I think eventually they're going to be the most organized group when, whenever they get their youth organization stood up. Um, I know that there's been a, like a American youth rugby organization thing that I think they were going to try and build through, but uh, I read something from Goff. He talks about there's a populate the council. Populate the, the idea is you need to populate the youth council, and then the youth council needs to build a a youth sports administrative body, um, national office type thing, um, so that it can provide services to uh, to youth um, players, and then so. So each council, uh, senior, collegiate, and uh, and youth uh, are supposed to be 10 members apiece, and they directly appoint their board member 
I don't, I don't really, I think the, there's an international athlete council, but I don't know about the size because it's like the international athletes have always been a direct appointment um, from the international athletes to the board. I don't know what it looks like right now, but international athletes will go, will increase from two seats to four seats and they are supposed to have an IA council. I think it's supposed to be 10 members and there'll be like, but then they also have a greater voting population than in just the IA council. Um, but uh, so yeah, you have, this is the most, I would say the way this works, I don't, I don't know if it's the best, but it's okay. As far as an organization structure is concerned, my biggest thing is at least with Congress, you could, the way it was organized, you could have a no confidence vote and remove the whole board. Um, it was difficult. It never had, like they had a no confidence vote once and they never got a two thirds, they never got a two thirds majority, but the people they tried to remove eventually did get removed. And, but we've just been so up Creek without a paddle that fixing those problems has been very difficult um, since then. And that was all this rugby world cup seven stuff. Right. Um, but that gets us on to the last piece and that's, you know, world rugby is our diploma provider. So, and I guess that's being approved and I'm told that we could be in our workout plan um, before midsummer. So that's where you yeah, the finance. So, I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, we. I think we knew that Warwick was going to be the dip lender. You know, it's approved. That's no shock. So, you know, if as you look at the bankruptcy, depending on your interest and your point of view, there's kind of two main things that need to be resolved. There's the governance, which seems to be more or less resolved, and there's the finances. And you may be a person who thinks we're in this mess because of governance issues. You may be a person who thinks we're in this mess because of finance issues. Obviously, they're connected in some way. So it depends a little bit on your point of view. But the governance part seems to be done and, and more or less resolved. The finance part, I still haven't seen anything. I mean, we know the first day motions were filed that describe the lead up to the filing. We know that USA Rugby you know, petitioned World Rugby for loans prior to this this dip loan, you know, prior to the Chapter 11 petition. Um, and you, you, you know, World Rugby provided those. World Rugby is the biggest creditor. Um, we know JP, they're not the senior creditor. We know, uh, I think it's JP Morgan, on yeah. their bank is actually the senior creditor, but their bank, they're really into the nuances here. Their bank is, as a senior creditor, if someone else is going to provide the dip loan other than the senior creditor, the senior creditor has to be given something called adequate protection. It could take a number of forms, but in this case, it's the most basic form you can imagine, which is they're just taking the amount of cash they owe J.B. Morgan and putting it aside. And that cash is going to go to J.B. Morgan. So J.B. Morgan almost certainly will be made whole from this and, and not be impaired at all. Uh, what we still need to see, which I guess you know Aaron is intimating we'll see by midsummer, is a plan of reorganization that will tell you what happens to the rest of the pre-petition claims, predominantly World Rugby's loan, but you know there's other small claims, vendor claims, stuff like that. Um, and a dip loan is a in Chapter 11 financing only. I mean that that's something that can't exist outside of Chapter 11, so. 
but also needs to be an exit plan as part of the plan of reorganization that says, okay, we borrowed 5 million bucks, whatever it is, um, uh, in a dip loan to fund this bankruptcy. That needs to be repaid by the time this bankruptcy ends. So is World Rugby going to come in and provide an exit loan to repay their other loan? Or is some other creditor going to provide, or is there some other lender going to provide it? So we'll see who's going to be the, who's going to finance the exit. You know, World Rugby is financing the process, but it's not clear yet who finances the exit. Yeah, it's, uh, I I think World Rugby ends up financing our exit, right? Like that's, that's probably um, what's going to happen. And then you'll obviously get some revenue generated from sponsorships because I think EY still wants to be a part of Rugby. I'm pretty sure. So you'll get some sponsorship revenue. You'll get some event revenue. Oh, and here's a good one. I'm pretty sure I've heard things. This is where the old earful of dirt comes from. Um, that Glenn, like this, this will tie into Glendale stuff because Wendy Young um, mentioned it in her in her piece that I don't think it's long term, but I'm pretty sure Glendale is going to provide office space and warehouse stuff and try to be the training center for USA rugby for at least a year. Um, and they are going to provide this, I think gratis. I mean, this goes into the politics that I talked about uh, previously. Men and women or just men, um, men and women. But like I said, like we will talk about later in the show, they cut their women's program. So this gets really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's uh so yeah so there's some really weird things moving um but apparently glendale is and i'm guessing they're going to get some type of remuneration like they're going to get a number of tests and events in exchange for rent-free um i guess housing of the ngb and uh you know services that they may provide whatever those services become or are uh, but I wonder if they consider just working from home. I mean, in a post-corona world, does the USA Rugby office really need to have a physical office with rent? Again, I, mean, I mean, when I think about this, right? You know, for now, it's like, do do we need a big warehouse of stuff? Can we just, you know, give? Can we just rent our warehouse manager manager's uh, garage? Like let's yeah. just let's just, or no 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 not not their garage but let's just let's just get two storage units for a hundred dollars a month at the U-Haul um, or yeah. was it public storage? It's a hundred dollars a month, you know. For it's like for and that's for like climate control. That's all. Do we need a huge warehouse? I like right now, like today, like right now. Do we need a huge fulfillment warehouse for kit and a Gatorade and Thorn supplements? Probably not. We probably need to live like pretty cheap. Um, so you could probably do your warehouse out of two storage units and uh, have everyone work from home. Like that's probably that's, boom. We just solved your financial problem. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's without knowing a bunch of complicated stuff, but um, not sure you want to sign a, year-long or even long-term deal with Glendale based on, you know, the other things they've done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been working from home for what was it, two and a half months, and I work for a 
$300 million, extremely complex, full-service investment bank. If we can manage it, I think USA Rugby, you might, might be able to hack it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not like we own a training center or anything, so we don't have to run that. Um, we just, every time we form... It's probably the one thing they should have is a training yeah, center. Yeah. The, every time we form the, the Eagles men and women, we go rent facilities. So it's not like we, we own and operate a facility. It's a, yeah, because like HQ should probably look like what Glendale looks like by itself. But I would say USA Rugby should be owning like a field complex that can that has a 5,000-person stadium that you can also rent out for tournaments and stuff like – you can generate revenue off of the USA Rugby HQ, right? And also, it's a training center, you know? Like, when you have uh, – but whatever. I, I, I mean, that's that, that would have been the thing, right? Um, uh, Rick, that's actually not true. Um, CRAA is a part of USA Rugby, um, and they are going to remain so. The question is – um, yeah, I just mentioned that. Um, we just talked about uh, USA Rugby maybe going to Glendale. Yeah. Um, not not much of a rumor at this point, I don't think. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so we'll get to the Glendale stuff uh, a little bit later. So, Craig, previously you talked about how excited you are for the draft. Um, so do you want to know what the eligibility guidelines are? Tell us. Um, so it looks mostly, I would say, closer to the, the baseball draft, which is um, you have to be 21 years of age or have played three years of college baseball. Um, so for for this, you need to be 21 years of age or have played three years of college rugby to be eligible. You also have had to have played in the last season of college rugby. So really to this academic year that that is your eligibility stuff. Um, when it comes to draft rights, teams hold draft rights for up to a year. So for underclassmen, uh, well, obviously the draft is going to move deeper into the summer uh, at some point. So they have up to a year to sign you. Um, if you are an upperclassman or an underclassman, um, and if you uh, don't want to, if you're an underclassman, whether you're a draft eligible sophomore or draft eligible junior, and you don't want to go to that team that may draft you, you can go back to college and go play college and re-enter the subsequent draft when they're, when those draft rights expire. And uh, so... So all the same uh, as baseball, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much the same thing as baseball uh, in regards to that. Um, then the other thing was is that uh, if you are a graduating senior and you do not enter the draft, uh, you uh, are not in the eligible pool of undrafted free agents. So you have to go play rugby overseas or play club rugby in the United States and sit out the year. Um, to and then you are eligible to sign as a free agent. So those that's about as dumb as I can make it for myself 
And as simple as I can make it for that's you. if you don't declare for the draft. Yeah, that's if you don't declare for the draft. So if you, you don't are have ready, to draft, but if you, you have to declare, you, yeah. So um, whereas if you declare for the draft, your ability to get an MLR contract um, is just based on teams having a desire to sign you. But at any point um, during the year, you're eligible to be to negotiate a deal with the team. Um, as an undrafted free agent, um, going forward, um, yeah. Whereas everyone, setup because it really incentivizes you to incentivizes people to declare for the draft. Uh, obviously, we have way more people that have declared. If it was like two thousand people declared or something, no, uh, it wasn't that much. It was so it was four hundred and fourteen American players declared for the draft, and I know that uh, that's based on the current list I have. And I think that's all there have been some players that have withdrawn and there have been some players that have been removed from the list already because they are ineligible for the draft because they didn't play college rugby last year or the year before, or even the year before. Um, so, so 400 people for a draft that's going to draft 24 total or whatever it is. So yeah. I mean, the vast, vast majority of people that have declared are not going to be drafted. Yeah, I, I think like looking for work specifically, looking at a lot of these kids, there's 24 picks in this draft. Um, I think if you look at when it was supposed to be 48 picks, I don't think this draft is that deep um, where you would get good value at pick 48. Um, there might, I think there, there are 36 very good players in this draft. Um, there, I think there are... Uh, I think there, there are probably 60 to 70 total players drafted and undrafted free agents that will get invited to camps. Uh, I have spoken to um, a few teams. They are going to be running academy programs in the fall for um, guys that they have uh, in their system. Um, so like 404 rugby, it's coming back. Uh, Nola Gold Rugby is going to have an, a senior academy side in the fall. They're going to play Nola games. Silver. Yeah, no, done. Nola Silver. Here we go. We're gonna get this, and we're great at branding. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Solving problems left and right tonight. That's what happens. You take eleven weeks off. You come back with ideas. <laughs> so Nola Silver it is. Um there's so there's gonna be and I think New Orleans is gonna host a an academy tournament with few teams uh as well. Uh speaking to general manager Ryan Fitzgerald and uh and uh our boy Nate Osborne, the uh the last of I the we're gonna call them the Magnificent Seven. Is he the last? He is the last. He's the last of the Magnificent Seven. Um, uh, Rick, these are academy teams playing against academy teams, although 404, I think, is staying in the American Rugby Premiership. So they, if there is a season for fall, they will also play against uh, Nyack, Old Blue, Mystic, and Life. Um seniors, life seniors, not life university. Um uh D1A program. But uh so and then I've looked at I've seen a lot of stuff. 
teams are taking this very seriously. Like there, I've seen players get graded out, uh, and you know there there are some some names out there that people know. Uh, if you're watching the uh, the shorts that MLR is putting out, uh, you had Bronson Tellez, Tommy Clark, uh, Connor Buckley. Keep their, those things are they will keep coming out at a regular interval, um, highlighting players that top players that have entered the draft. So. Uh, you know, we just get to know the players that are in the draft. It's pretty cool, right? Uh, but um, so uh, that's sort of the way things are going. I think a lot of young college kids that declared that are seniors are going to get an opportunity to try and earn an MLR contract if they want it. Um, but here's the thing. I don't think every team is running an academy program in the fall, but that means there's going to be extra tape on you. And if a team has an injury and you can compete at a level that is high enough, you can get into, you're going to be able to get into another camp if there's an injury. So I think that's, I think that's important. Um, the other one is the other, the thing that, so D1A specifically, because I don't, I don't know what's going on with NCR or not D1A specifically, but the CRAA as it were, I would say negotiated or created these windows that allow players to go visit um, the MLR teams. I know that uh, if you run the ATL, uh, I don't know if they tweeted it today or yesterday, they had a bunch of players uh, register for their college camp, which they will run in August. Um, and it's a four-week high-performance camp. So if you or wanting to get your name out there and get noticed by Scott Lawrence or by anyone else. Cause I'm sure that other MLR teams are going to be paying attention to this. If they're not running their own college camp for next year, because next year is an extremely deep draft. Uh, like last year was deep. I thought like last year would have been a great year to have a draft. And at some point you just have to get it done. But next year is an extremely deep draft, probably as deep and deeper than last year. Um, I mean, if you look at last, if you look at rugby ATL and how they've competed, they got a lot of kids that were seniors last year, right? Um, if you look at NOLA, they they go deep into uh, the college game and they find players that play right away. Um, you know, Malcolm May, Holden Youngert, uh, Kevin Har- um, Matt Harmon, Kevin Sullivan, like all these guys are like coming right out of college and playing right away for a team like NOLA and they're winning games. So that says how much they're into developing American players. Um, but the, the interesting one, there's trades. Yeah. There's trades. Weird trades too. I mean, there's not much to trade when there's only two rounds of the draft. Like, you know, uh, Utah acquired both of Houston's picks uh, for a, a single player, the scrum half, uh, to Houston, but I mean, you know, it's still only two. It's like you feel like trading your entire draft pick roster is a big thing, but really, it's only two for one. So it's not that dramatic of a of a shift, but it's still a little strange considering you know Utah's just as competitive as Houston is, really. Um, um, so it, I think it for it really says a lot about what Utah's doing. Um, 
they are under Brandon Sparks, their director of rugby, which was hired last year. Um, he coached at Michigan for, I think it was seven years. So he's very tied in um, to uh, developing American rugby players. And, you know, it says at a time what I thought they were just going with a lot of foreign players because they were, um, they're looking to develop American players with this. Like that's what they're saying. They're, they're saying long-term we're going to have American talent and that's, that's how we're going to focus. And I think in a lot of ways, when you have a guy like Brandon Sparks or Ryan Fitzgerald or uh, Alex Magleby up in new England uh, or Scott Lawrence in Atlanta, or I think Steven Lewis is now consulting for uh, rugby United, New York paired with a Greg McWilliams that, these got you have a lot of guys that have worked with developing American college players um, in their career, and they believe in the players that we have in the American college system. Um, and it was just weird, like to read the comments online about um, how prepared these players are. Here's the here's the here's here's the sunk reality for you: the top players that are eligible. Uh, this is where uh, I'm going to dunk on Craig. Povey is a fullback, not a scrum half. Mm. Um, for those wondering, um, D- Dustin Zerer from the Austin Rugby Supporters asked, if, uh, is Povey the de facto backup for Ruse then? Well, no, because they play two different positions. Uh, Campbell Johnstone is the de facto, is the actual backup for uh, – well. Wikipedia has him as the fly half for Utah. He's a he's a he's a fullback. Um, and uh, we got a shout out from Susie Menark Delgado um, for just going to throw Matthew Gordon from UNW out there. He played in America, but not an American. Yes, I saw his name um, on the draft board of several um, teams. So that that will be very nice. Uh, a lot. There's a lot of good players in this draft, whether they're American or foreign born. So um, that will get an opportunity to play for in major league rugby. Um, but yeah, so, um, Oh, I, 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 I know who Matthew Gordon is, Susie. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, continue. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see that investment in picks. Like New Orleans has traded uh, with uh, Los Angeles and swapped their picks. Uh, so they sent uh, their second-round pick to Los Angeles for their first-round pick and some other stuff. Um, and some other stuff that I can't disclose. Uh, because, nice one on Twitter. Why can't we disclose it? What? Why? Because uh, I mean, if they told if if the man told me I could share it, I would have done so. He just he, but he did say you can say that I, you know, there was so other stuff involved. Check Twitter, you know? you'll see what the other stuff was. Uh, so you know, many many places. Um, yeah, but uh, interesting for Nola too, because it seems like they must have their eyes on someone specific. I mean, this is I guess the first trade up in MLR history. Uh, so curious to see who they take. Um, I know that I, I, uh, I was a guest on MLR rant last week, two weeks ago, and, and uh, they discussed a little bit, a new Orleans local pro- college prop. And maybe that's uh, 
Maybe that's who they're eyeing with the second overall pick. I guess we'll find out. I mean, uh, they have some – they are targeting specific players. I know that. Um, that why, that's why you trade up to get the the second pick, right? Um, that you're, you, you plan to get a specific player, right? right? Um, like, uh, you know, speaking to, to Ryan Fitzgerald, he said, you know, Oh, if you think if if you're going into this that you you're gonna develop this player like period, like baseball, the baseball mentality rather than um, the NFL, even the NBA mentality, where that player has to be productive right away. It, where if you're going in, if if the player that you're drafting has to start or has to play significant minutes right away, and that's then you can then you can make a then you may miss big right like you you may make a career decision um that will either solidify your job or get you fired if that player but this isn't but i don't think anyone overall is going into this draft where they need where they have a, a need that they need to fill with a domestic with a domestic player um, that they can't fill, um, you know, with one of their foreign slots in general. Um, but because there, there are each team has a lot of foreign slots, you know. Um, but at the same time, you need to develop players to you need to draft players that can compete for places on your roster. Um, period, because there's only ten foreign slots per team, and you need to have a team of thirty five players at least maybe 40. Uh, I think in season one, you know, San Diego is 42. So um, there, there's that, right? So, but for the most part, I think this focuses talent acquisition um, in a lot of ways, because it tells you're creating assets via draft picks, right? Or that are, that teams are already trading. So, that means teams are taking the draft seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm trying to remember how, you know, what trades that have just occurred in general in MLR. Certainly there haven't been many. I, I can't even think uh, of one. The biggest head. one I remembered was um, uh, in season one, Utah sent a foreign player slot and cap space. The, dude, three years of a foreign player slot to Austin. And I think cap space just for that year um, for Pakistanasi Afu, uh, who I think they dropped mid season. Yeah. So um, really not a major uh, element of, of major league rugby thus far, but for the draft, yeah, you know, we saw a couple of trades in a, in a short period of time. So maybe this will be a segue to a, a greater expansion of the transactional side of the league, you know, whereas right now it's pretty much only the on the field side, which is the better side, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So, so there've been other trades, but that's like the big, that was like the first one. Um, and the rest of them, I think I know of one, but I, I won't really comment on that one. Um, but um, yeah, so, so that's the MLR draft. Uh, it will be on the, the 13th of June, which is a Saturday. Uh, I was, one of our questions was that was asked of us is like, what are the broadcast details? I personally know them, but uh, I can't 
share them and I'm not going to, um, but it, there will be a broadcast with one of MLR's current TV partners and it will be on Saturday the 13th. Um, so that gives you FTF, F Fox Sports, ESPN, and CBS Sports to figure out. Um, so that's that's enough. It's all hope for FTF. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that that got in. Okay. <laughs> if you didn't already know how to make a Gilgroni. Oh my goodness. Now you have to learn how to make a guillotine. Loyal's Rugby officially launched their brand for the Los Angeles franchise. Uh, the Los Angeles Giltinis. And as part of that um, announcement, they also announced Darren Coleman, head coach of Gordon RFC in the in the famed Shoot Shield Championship. Um will be the head coach of the Los Angeles Giltinis and Stephen Hoyle's former Wallaby and Wallaby Sevens coach uh, will be assisting Darren Coleman. Um, I think as the first two coaches in LA, that's that's a pretty good start. Uh, the branding, I don't know. Terrible start. Yeah, coaches are good to see if they get their visas. We, yeah, we have a lot of trouble with coaches getting visas around here. But um, look, Gilgroni's... Obviously, I, I don't. I don't think you actually just mentioned this, but if it's not obvious, it's the same ownership ultimately as the Gilgronies. Uh, uh, I mean, when the Gilgronies came in, it was weird, it was funky, but it was a franchise that needed a change. They were really struggling locally. You know, something dramatic to start over. Fine. This is just silly. I, I mean, the Giltinis. It sounds ridiculous. We have two gill drinks. Those aren't even real drinks. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it makes the league seem clownish to me. I mean, it just seems like something a clown league would do. Uh, like this is like what my local softball league team name would be. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> dude. So I was in a club um, for for our sevens club name that we entered into uh, a. Uh, uh, a sevens tournament, I think, it was Bloodfest. Uh, El Paso Scorpions, right? And uh, the the club we entered was the Muffin Tops. <laughs> I mean, that makes eminently more sense than the Giltinis. So. <laughs> but um, also, like, I think I said this with uh, the real Gronies is that something else needed to be done. In, in a lot of sense, uh, the the branding just needed to be burned down. Not that Austin Heard was bad, uh, but Austin Elite and, and all of the the community issues that came with that, um, that it just needed to be excised from the situation. So any like connection to the previous ownership, uh, just pro- they decided to just gut the whole thing, right? Um, and they came up with the Gilgronies, which given how much money they've put around that um, – uh, it it worked. I mean, and they did a lot of they did a lot. They added to the community work that the Austin Herd did with Paul Sentinelli and and Andrew and our friend Justin Zerer to try and like patch that up. Uh, but it, they it just they needed to to turn the page on the chapter and 
well, maybe they needed to burn the book. I, I don't know, but they needed to move on from everything that was tied to that original ownership group. And it, it, it worked out this, there was, there was no, yeah. So yeah. dumb. It's just yeah. really, I mean, like, I, I, you know, being a rugby fan in the USA is the, uh, you know, unfortunate circumstance of constantly pushing rugby on your non-rugby knowledgeable friends. And, you know, I guess people may do it to varying degrees, but I'm always trying to push it on my, my other friends, my non-rugby friends, and they don't like me doing that, but I keep doing it. But I can't even show them this. Like, it, it's so embarrassing to now have another guild drink name. I just, you know. Why haven't you, uh, why haven't you shown your friends uh, the new guild drink name? Like, why, why do you not want to show your friends uh, the guild drink name? I, because it's silly. That's why. I, be like, I'll be honest. I haven't told my mom because um, she lives in LA about their new rugby team. But my mom doesn't drink. My stepdad is recovering alcoholic, and this isn't just a um, like a criticism. I'm just saying my mom is like is gonna go. Ah, like, yeah, ah, I mean, it her and and bless my mother. I just did like a perfect, like uh, impression, impersonation, and, yeah, impersonation of. I wrote that as Mrs. Castro. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I I don't know how this is gonna go over well, but uh, you know. Yeah, you can't share. If I want to show this to my friends, and they, if any of my friends were time and getting to know Major League Rugby. They'd see this and be like, "This is not a serious thing. I'm, I'm not investing time, and this is a joke." Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I I don't I, I don't know. I I really I just don't know. Um, but Austin will have a third cup to play for. A third cup to play for. Okay, uh, they've got the Cuisine Solutions Cup. They've got. Uh, which is a rivalry with Old Glory DC. And then they've got the Texas Cup, which I think uh, Dallas will be added to that. I don't I don't know. Um, but they've got the Texas Cup. And then they've got the Cocktail Cup, baby. The Cocktail Cup. The Cocktail Glass. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what you, uh, what you would make the trophy look like, but um, they've got three different cup games that they will play for, and it made me feel like it was Big Ten football. I do like cups. I do like local cups, traditions, stuff like that. So I suppose if there's a positive to come out of it, it'd be that. Uh, oh, God. Like, what, is, couldn't they at least just call them the martinis? Like, it, Does it have to also be a made-up drink? <laughs> I don't know, man. Um so so that's that's that. Uh coaching staff positive. I'm I don't know about the brand. I, I'll I'll pass on comments about that. Um uh, that gets us to to Glendale. So for all those that listen to the podcast, uh I I think we gave an opinion about Glendale's major league rugby withdrawal, and we also had seen um two interviews that Mayor Mike Donovan 
had uh, executed with both uh, Matt McCarthy of Rugby Wrap-Up and also Dallin Stanford. And it was just one of little hogwash, right? Um, and, like, withdrawal, and it gets back to – and this – it gets back to not making a lot of sense. Um, Glendale, for a while, was the rugby capital of America, right? It was the only senior rugby complex purpose built in the United States. Now we have uh, the facility at the Aviva um, in Houston. Um, And, you know, there, there will be others that are built as part of major league rugby. Um, And so it's, it's like, Okay, so you withdrew from MLR, and I, I guess I should have figured this. This is where I get – I'm getting pissed, right? So Mike says, you know, we're going to develop, continue to develop American rugby players that will compete for national team spots. Like we're, there's going to be a lot of rugby played here, probably more rugby than um, has ever been played here. Okay, so if you're going to pivot, right, and you're leaving the only the professional league you helped found. Would you pivot and just fully support your women's club that you that it, that plays in the women's Premier League? Would that and maybe like do less with your men's program? Well, according to sources, according to players, the men's program did not get any funding cut from the city. Uh, the they will continue to play in the PRP in whatever form it looks like. Um, Glendale also used to have a Division II program. Uh, I don't know really, based on looking at Frontier uh, Rugby Union, uh, there is no Division II or Division III uh, men's team anymore. Maybe that's a body issue, or maybe it got cut, and those players went to the Barbos and the Highlanders and a few other clubs in the Denver area. I don't know. Um, all I know is they had the Raptors, they had the Merlins and the PRP, and then they had Glendale Merlins Women, WPL, Glendale Merlins Women, D1. Um, and in 2021, uh, they won't exist. The, mer- the women's program, they've, they've been officially cut. Uh, the players were in... Is that official or is that just that's still... A, that's official. Um, that's okay. official. That's not a rumor. I, uh, we, I reached out to several players on the, the Raptors and um, also other sources that are around Rapt- the Raptors or Rap- Merlin's women, not the Raptors women, but, you know, this is just... Uh, and... One sort, one of the players said that the WPL team is supposed is supposed to get funding for the one more season. Um, what supposedly whether that season is in the spring or in the fall or in the spring, but the WPL teams have voted to postpone the start of the season. It was supposed to start the last weekend of August. So whether the WPL season occurs in the fall or in the spring, I would think that if Glendale is saying that they've, they're just cutting the programs completely, 
uh, that they wouldn't even they wouldn't get the funding if the WPL PL league uh, league uh, moves to this ring. Um, so we will see on that. They're, they're, the players are of the understanding that it, the WPL team will get funding for one last season. Um, don't we don't know if that season will be in the fall or in the spring, but after that WPL season, there is no Glendale Merlin's women's program. So yeah. Uh, we heard, I mean, it seems like from the internet that it was just a complete shock to the player. Did you hear any more background as to, Oh no. So as far as, so as far as I know, speaking to the players that we spoke to, um, the coach, the coach, the coach was informed and then they did a zoom call like as, as early as they could get all of the team, all of the team on a zoom call, which happened on Thursday. So like it, so, but why? I mean, they, they were just like, we're, we're cutting the women's program. Nothing else. So, I mean, I, I play for a club that has an elite women's program, you know, a similar level. Um, I mean, like we couldn't cut it. They, they pay for themselves. I was like, is, you know, what, what's, how is it even that they would be able to do that? Well, they're a municipally supported program. Like, I don't think it costs from my understanding is they are the best funded women's program in the country. Uh, the players don't pay much um, to compete in WPL. Um, I'm pretty get offered. Do they say, "Look, you know, if you guys want to stay, you're going to have to pay dues or whatever"? Um, or was it just there was there not? was there was that they were like, um, "If you guys want to use the facilities to continue playing, you will have to pay a gym membership, and you will have to rent the field." So there you go. And they. They declined that offer. I don't know if that's been declined or not, but uh, they. I'm sure that uh, what will occur is that most of these women had moved to Glendale or the Denver area specifically to play for the Merlins. So I would think that without that municipal funding supporting the program, um, that over time, a lot of them will move out uh, and go, whether it's to go home or to other WPL clubs, especially the, the women that um, are on the national team. Yeah. Um, they, they will look to compete at the highest level so that they can stay in contention. And um, I, I guess, yeah, but it's, I mean, look, I think if it's, there's two questions, I guess. I mean, if, if they were offered a chance to continue playing, they paid dues and they said no. I mean, I think I got to think most women's club, my New York Rugby Club, certainly they paid dues to support the team. I guess the second question, though, is are the men continuing to get financial the support? Are, the, men are getting the, the men are continuing to get financial support. Yeah, that I mean, that's for obviously now. a questionable decision. For, for uh, now. What, yeah. For now. Uh, I, I – I would say that's a four now, but I just find it funny that someone goes out and says Glendale will support American rugby. will continue to develop American rugby players, but we're cutting 
the women's program that has won national multiple national championships has stayed right. at the top of the WPL since they entered the league. They've never finished. I believe it's they've never finished lower than second. Let me look at this. Like they've they've uh, where is it? So uh, club in the finals so they entered the league in 2012 in 2013 they finished third they won championships in 2014 and 2015 and then finished second in 16 17 and 18 um 18 was when they lost to myrc i believe 18 yeah um and uh 2019 they defeated life west for the wpl title um so, three national championships uh, and three runners up. Like so, they yeah. they've supported this program. They've won or almost won every like every single year that they've competed in, except the second, like the first two. And in the second year, they were third. So, like as a program, this is in a short span of time. This is the most, like in the, the last 10 years, this is the most successful women's rugby club in America. Yeah, so, I, you know, if you're out there listening, Glendale administration, we'd love to hear the reasoning. You know, well, what's the thought process behind what's going on there? Um, you know, we'll, we'll put it out there, what, what your viewpoint is, but I would love to hear why this decision was made and how it fits into the long-term strategy. Like it's bad for women's rugby in America. Um, well, before we get into gender equity issues, because just on a competitive basis, it takes away a system that developed Eagles completely. Like it, it just removes one of it removes the, the strongest or second strongest women's program in the country completely off just off the face of the off the face of the planet. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's bad for sure, but I think I feel like we need to know a little more because if it was just a question they didn't have the money to pay for it and they were asked to pay for themselves and they didn't want to do that, you know, I'm a little more sympathetic to that element, putting aside the gender equity thing. Um, well, I mean, it, so if then we go back to the gender equity piece in D1 men – or the men's program, just the men's program in general, retains funding. Yeah. Um. So, tell us why. Explain yourself, Glenda. I, I would like to know the reasoning behind. And if it's about economics, and they're going to say that the men's team generates revenue, I uh, before. I don't think they sold four thousand tickets per game for the Glendale Raptors. Um before they were in MLR and they didn't sell 4,000 tickets per game while they're in MLR. Although they did sell like 2,200 while they were in major league rugby um, per game, which is great for American rugby that people are continuously paying for, for that. But as I said, if you're going to say that you're about developing American rugby players, uh, gender is irrelevant, right? Like it, like you're trying to, you know, develop athletes to compete for the national team, to compete for world cups, you know, well, you know, like the women's team is closer to winning a world cup than the men's 
We finished yeah. fourth. We finished fourth in the last World Cup. You know, they won a World Cup, and then they won the first ever won, World Cup. Won the, won the first World Cup. Um, finished second a few times. Um, so like, and yeah, the the women's program has been like, you know, you're talking about very competitive. Um, and we're in an era where England is paying central contracts and the women's premiership in England is paying um, salaries now to players, you know, and, and, you know, we, in general, I think England's going to leave everybody behind in the women's professionalism debate and we're all going to be playing catch up, but removing a system where, players don't have to pay much money to compete um, when uh, the rest of the league, well, there's an, the, the other program in um, the women's premier league life West is extremely well supported. Um, and many of those women don't have to con- like, we're not talking very large dues to fund their women's program. We're talking, it's pretty limited. Like they are not, I know with MYRC speaking with a few of your your former uh, women's teammates that uh, the women are funding the WPL travel budget out of their their wallet. They're funding the whole thing out of their wallets. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. like just so it's not like you know we're talking a travel budget that's like a hundred thousand dollars a year, basically. Um, not that much. Right? Well, okay, so go back to two years ago before it was split into East West. No, it's, it's not anything close to that. You got to add, well, when they were traveling to the West Coast. Yeah, um, it's still, I mean, I would say divide that by five. You really uh, think it was only $20,000 that they had to come up with on the side? I don't know. Like, But still, it's like, well, WPL on the East Coast is a lot more tightly packed, right? So the the tough flights, they didn't have to take a flight to Orsu every year. They have to take a flight to Glendale every year. So like it alternated. Um, but still like a good amount of cash. Um, yeah, it's a lot of cash. And they pay and they pay for everything else too. The you know, the field rentals at home and the kit and everything else we have. I mean, we get we run a tournament here to raise money and then you're Thanksgiving sevens, but other than that, it's small sponsorships and dues that pay for everything. So, yeah. So that, that's kind of, kind of what's going on with that. Uh, yeah. Um, crazy. Not really um, into that. Uh, it's, I, I wanted, I want, I would like a real reason. And I know that the Glendale Merlins and the city of Glendale has not responded to any press requests from your scrum half connection. Um, went over at Wendy young over there. Um, for comment. Um, and, and this just goes, falls in line with the weird comments that came um, when comments were solicited and they were directed towards the city manager and not the ownership group of the Raptors. You know? Yeah. I don't know what's going on at Glendale, but man, their reputation is really. Uh, uh, trending in, a, in the direction is something more clear and focused and sensible is forthcoming. So, well, I um, I don't know if we b- we'll be back next week, but we will be back after the draft. 
Um, if a lot of crazy stuff happens in the next week, we might be back on Monday. But um, if we're not, we will be back the week, the Monday after the draft. I think that is the 15th. Um, we'll look to do a show, talk about um, everything uh, that happened. Um, the The ownership group and the mayor of Glendale, uh, Susie, are affiliated. Um, I know that his name is not on the papers, but uh, his wife is listed as a governor of the um, ownership group of the the Raptors, the the former MLR team. So that there is a there is a direct affiliation between himself and the ownership group. But if you go back and watch the uh, ma- the rugby wrap up interview with Mayor Mike Donovan, he basically says that he has no idea who the owners are. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, and and. <laughs> And the city of Glendale owns Infinity Park, right? So yeah, so he I mean, is in charge. You know, there's no owner of a city thing, but I mean, he's in charge of the stadium that they play in. Uh, so they're they're very closely affiliated in a lot of different ways. Um, let me go find our Facebook questions, and but I've got our uh, Twitter questions up. Uh, so what's up with the dumb names? Mr. Grenade McBoom on Twitter. <laughs> you tell me, Grenade McBoom. You heard my take. Uh, I mean, dumb. I I, I hope that uh, some pressure mounts and they reconsider that name before they take the field. Um, draft broadcasting details. And also, do you think LA name will stick or the owners will change a petition this time? Now has up to 316 signatures. This is kind of funny. In a lot of ways, that's from Life Love Rugby um, at LL Rugby on Twitter. Um, so there was a petition <laughs> launched to keep the Raptors, uh, to keep the Raptors. Well, this petition, in a way shorter amount of time, has over double the amount of signatures. It's only three hundred sixteen, but it shows maybe you they could name the LA team the Raptors, and then everyone wins. Boom. There you go. Another problem solved. Oh, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that was funny. Um, this this question, I think, will um, from Larouge Rugby Podcast, our brothers to north to the north. Um, I'm gonna need to think about it for a little bit. Um, but um, John Velasquez on Twitter or Facebook rather um, says, "Do you see?" LA changing their name and logo from all the comments that have been coming from out from it. Um, don't know if you have covered this yet. Sorry if you have. So um, no, we are covering it tonight, John. So, um, and then Alex Cannon says, yes, please discuss the naming of the Los Angeles team. Uh, I think we did, but do we see the, the team naming change? I, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so, but. I mean, in the, in the early days of the MLS, uh, Anschutz Entertainment Group owned six teams. Lamar Hunt Sports owned three teams. So LA is owned by the same ownership group. Um, at one point, I'm sure one of those teams will get sold, and uh, you'll end up with the Gilgronis and the Giltinis being owned separately, and one of their names may change. Will both of them change? I don't know. 
Uh, Dustin. Dustin's there on the in the Facebook comments. Did LA name their team? I haven't heard anything about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a. But yeah, so I I don't I don't know. Um, I would say at least for the next season, it's the LA Guillotines. Um, but uh, like I said, you got some great coaches. Um. The dispersal draft is complete. I guess uh, Blake Rogers has come out and uh, said that he was signed by Los Angeles. Um, so congrats to Blake Rogers. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I think a total of twenty players or twenty plus players from Glendale uh, have been dra- drafted by Los Angeles and Dallas and been offered contracts as part of the dispersal draft. Um, but I, I can't really give any details about that. Um, there will be an expansion draft. It will look a lot different than last year's because uh, they there will be a lot more protected players uh, talking with the, the competitions committee um, because they've already been able to sign players from Glendale. And they'll be able to pull in um, senior players and foreign players and then uh, – College players. Um, you know, uh, Mark Ferguson asks in the comments, uh, so in Texas, we have this cool new tradition, Texas Cup. When the Gilgronis play the Giltinis, what's the prize? I said uh, earlier, Mark, uh, it's it's going to be called the Cocktail Cup, or that's what I'm calling it. Um, yeah. Maybe the cocktail, it's the... The Cocktail Glass. It's like an actual... The thing they give you at a bar. Yeah, I mean, is there a question about the Giltinis? Was this is the Giltini episode. I think that's that's it, uh, really. Um, um, but the last question I wanted to put some thought to from our friends up in the north: What does your perfect kit for the U.S. and Canada look like? Uh, well, Canada, they just announced their deal with Macron, which is an Italian. Um, athletic wear manufacturer. Um, if you have not um, seen any Macron or Macron um, jerseys, uh, Northampton Saints wear Macron. Uh, Scotland wears Macron. Italy wears Macron. Um, dude, the Scott, the Macron Scotland jerseys have been great. Um, the the one for the World Cup with the collar and the the um, like I guess the sweat patches with the the Scot- Scottish rugby um, tartan uh, inlaid on the kits was great. They they've made a lot of great collared uh, kits for Scotland. Uh, for Italy, I like the collared kits that they make. Um, the ones that kind of well, the Northampton ones aren't even that bad. Uh, but the the my biggest beef with Northampton is the that tool station needs to have their their sponsorship in red, white, and blue in the middle of the chest. Can't change their color palette to fit the palette of the team, apparently. Um, yeah, so- for me, I mean, I think anything with a collar is a is a must. If we're saying favorite kit styles, uh, I want collars on everything. Canada, I think, is easier in a sense because. You know, red and white makes for a simple colored palette. You know, I I would take it all red uniform with white piping, maybe. Uh, 
USA is tougher because I, you know, you're tempted to get the stars and stripes in there somehow, which is a little harder to make. So there was, so if you go way back, A, I need, we need to scrap the current logo and go back to the old, uh, not engraved, but um, embroidered eagle um, that we used to have. Uh, We used to wear red a lot. Want to go back to wearing red a lot? Uh, There was a, a beautiful, I think it was. I think it was made by Land's End. Uh, a lot of the old jerseys back when things were different uh, were Land's End mate was the manufacturer for a long time. They're all like thick cotton. Um, but uh, there was a, a red, white, and blue hoops um, cotton jersey, which was really nice. Uh, I, would, I would like to see a red, white, and blue hoops jersey as an alternate. Um, maybe a Navy and we could do, we could do all four kits. Like, cause this is America and we do merchandising. Uh, USA rugby hasn't really done merchandising well, but if they could get a good design, um, go in, uh, bring back the old Eagle, put it on the chest. And, uh, I, I think we go with, uh, we gotta go with the collar. Um, and uh, bring back the red, the red tops. I'm not saying we got to look like whales. Nope, nope. Just bring back the the red tops. In fact, let's do red with blue piping. Yeah, that's that's what I would. That's what I would do. Red, red with I definitely blue. like. I definitely like the red, white, and blue hoops. Um, I don't know if I like a red top. I I, I think I have to see it uh, for the USA. I like it. I like it for Canada. But I also don't want to look like Canada. So. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, I think you know the blue the blue stuff we've had um, has been uh, has been interesting. Um, Mark says uh, I have a Lands End Eagle uh, kit. You're awesome, Mark Ferguson. I, I wish I had one because they look pretty they look pretty cool back in the day. I think I found one uh, on there was on some bid site and it was Dan Lyles. Um, it was Dan Lyle's kit, and I sent it to him because he's like, "Oh, I ain't getting any money from that." <laughs> it's like, so yeah. Um, I think Canada's simpler. Um, make sure you have a collar. That's about it. We don't know who who our next uh, kit provider is. I know that Umbro was trying to get in the conversation. Um, it's not going to be Canterbury. I can tell you that right now. Um, for anyone wanting Canterbury, um, well, I think Canterbury's kind of like struggling in the space, actually, after having England and all this, like the, the North American uh, unit that was owned, sep- owned independently lost their license. And uh, the, uh, the central, the Kennedy Pro- Canterbury proper had to fulfill all of our world cup stuff. So I think it's, it's done. Um, who gets it next? Uh, Umbro could be, could they could be back on the table? Um, because they got the, the, the England stuff done. You know, if anyone wants to know about Umbro, I mean, they used to be in rugby in the eighties. They did England. They did the lions. They did Ireland. Uh, they did, they did a lot of teams. Um, but for whatever reason they exited, and then I think Umbro had some issues 
and then was purchased by Nike, um, refurbished and then sold in 2017 ish, um, to whatever brand group that owns it now. That's it. Um, yeah. 11 weeks. I know you guys missed us. It's good to be back. So, um, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, really need rugby in our lives right now. Um, just, uh, you know, look to your left and look to your right and just treat each other well. Um, Have we been back since uh, I won the Fantasy Draft League? Is that everyone? Oh, since you won the Fantasy? We need to come back and talk about that, uh, you know, about how we did that. Um, Craig Gridelli, uh champion of the Earful of Dirt Fantasy Rugby Draft. Uh, I, with a comeback, so well, somehow, I don't know how, um, the uh, uh, himself, um, Hashling and Slashers, uh, defeated the number two seed, uh, in Derek Brissett, uh, and uh, Beauty and the Beauty and the Beast, you know, you know, he is like, I, I don't know how, but guess what. You know, so that you end up playing Preston Thompson from American Rugby Pod uh, in the finals, and I end up playing after getting mollywhopped by you in the semifinals. Uh, Beauty's in the beast, and I end up beating him like a pulp. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, how did Canada had chosen Beaumont in the World Rugby? Like, how did and around that same time? Um, we were like, he's like, how did this happen? How did, how did this, how did I become, how did I end up in fourth? Like this is bad. And it's like, and that same weekend was the, uh, the world rugby uh, chairman vote. And it's like, well, the people said, you know, we chose Pichot and you chose, yeah. you chose Beaumont. <laughs> yeah. North America's rugby expressed their displeasure with Canada that, that weekend. Well, uh, um, Susie, uh, awesome that you, uh, you know, come to join the show. Um, I, I, I know I'm not the most agreeable person, um, out there. Um, but thank you for your comments. I thought they were a, um, everyone that, uh, likes to, uh, um, watch and, and live, please, uh, join the comments. We love the interaction, uh, for, if you want to know where to find our podcast, we're on like every podcast provider out there that you can find us, even on Spotify. I wish we were like Joe Rogan and got that hundred million dollar deal to take everything Spotify wild, but, uh, that is not the show, but we are always open to, um, suggestions about where, where you want, uh, this, us to look, um, at stuff and, uh, if you want to sponsor the show, uh, you can contact us, contact us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Um, but follow us, please, on Instagram, at earfulofdirt, on Twitter, at earfulofdirt, and also on Facebook, at earfulofdirt. Uh, and subscribe to us on iTunes uh, if you use iTunes. <laughs> just <laughs> Dustin says, just a few subs short. So, um, everyone, thank you for your time. Uh, we'll bring you the rugby news as it happens. Uh, have a good night. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. 
or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.